0: When I was a little child, I used to love those Christmas programs every year, and you know, about two months before Christmas, about the beginning of November, we would start the rehearsals, and we would rehearse every week, and so we experienced Christmas for two months, like our Christmas season was like two months long, you know, I mean, how many have two months of a Christmas, I mean, how many of you can really say that you you celebrate Christmas for two months? I mean, we started singing Christmas carols before Thanksgiving came, you know, we had two months of rehearsals for this thing. And now, you know, your Christmas season starts like three days before Christmas when you can get a tree for real cheap. You know what I'm talking about? You can get a 10-foot tree for like $5 on the day before Christmas. You know, we wait as long as we can to get that tree because, you know, we don't want to pay $50 for a tree, you know, a month before Christmas. It gets cheaper and cheaper the closer you get to Christmas. Shoot, you can get a tree for $2 on Christmas Day if you play your cards right. But when I was growing up, it wasn't like that. Matter of fact, the church I grew up at, they, we had a 50-foot a, a tree that we would put in the sanctuary every year. 50 feet. Can you imagine a 50-foot Christmas tree? It touched the ceiling of the sanctuary, and it was all flocked out, and it was, you know, there was all kinds of uh, ornaments on it. And not only that, what I loved about the Christmas program was that I got to be an elf See, I love being an elf, and the reason I love being an elf was not because I got to wear tights, but because I got to slide down the slide. You see, they put these—they had these choir lofts, and they put slides from the choir loft all the way down onto the platform, and, and us elves, we would go up there and slide down again and again and again and again and again, and, and uh, the, the Christmas program we did was kind of a combination of kind of the traditional Christmas folklore, you know, with uh, we didn't do Santa Claus, but we did Frosty the Snowman, and we did the elves, and even the Grinch who stole Christmas, and, and uh, you know, we'd sing, it's beginning to look a lot like Christmas, and chestnuts roasting or an open fire, and, you know, have yourself a merry little Christmas, all of the, you know, the major Christmas songs that we sing in our culture. But then, you know, Frosty the Snowman would come, you know, dancing down the aisles, and we'd be singing Frosty the Snowman, and then in the next scene, the, the, uh, the wise men would be coming from the east. And Jesus and Mary and Joseph would be on the platform in a little manger scene. And so we kind of mixed it all up. And then the Grinch would come. My brother always played the Grinch. You know, he would come and steal Christmas, you know, do something terrible. And at the end, the Grinch would get saved. Like, that was the end of the program. The Grinch would get saved. And he would be weeping and crying and repenting before the Lord, before the baby Jesus. Because that's what it says in the Bible. The Grinch got saved. No, that wasn't in the Bible. But I remember how much I loved those Christmas extravaganzas. I loved those, those, those performances. And, and, you know, I remember I, even during the rehearsals, I loved the rehearsals. You know, I'd be sitting up in the, qu- in the balcony at the back waiting for the next scene in the rehearsal, and the music would be playing. And I remember one year the orchestra and choir was singing The First Noel. You know that song? The first Noel, the angels did say, was to certain poor shepherds in fields as they lay. Now, I didn't understand the song. I mean, Noel was my homie in, in, in kindergarten. I had a friend named Noel. And so I didn't know that the shepherds in the Bible knew him. You know, maybe they knew another Noel, but I didn't know the angels were singing to Noel. I mean, like, how did the angels know Noel? You know, what about Paco? You know, what about, you know, what about Jamal? How come the angels weren't singing to Jamal? But why they got to sing to Noel? I didn't understand the song, but what I knew was that at that moment when the choir was singing that song, I was overwhelmed with so much joy. I was probably seven or eight years old, and I was sitting up in the balcony, and I just started crying. I mean, it's still a month before Christmas, mind you, but I was sitting up there crying because we were singing the first Noel, and the orchestra was playing, and the choir was singing, and the lights were low, and the the whole auditorium was sparkling, and it was the most beautiful moment I had ever experienced in my life, and I was just overwhelmed with joy, and I sat up there in the balcony. I just cried and cried, and I said, This is amazing. Christmas is the most awesome thing of the year, and I get to experience this every single year. I was so excited. Christmas was amazing. And we talked about the Christmas spirit. I love the Christmas spirit. The Christmas spirit was so strong on me. It was like the force on Luke Skywalker. The Christmas spirit was strong with me. I could feel the Christmas spirit, the joy, and the you know, the, you could smell the smell of the Christmas tree in your house. We had a, an old house with a 17-foot ceiling, and one year, my dad dropped us off at church in the morning, and he said, I'm going to get the Christmas tree while you're at church. And after church, he picked us up, and we said, Dad, did you get the Christmas tree? He said, yeah, I got it. We said, well, how big is it? That was every year my brothers and I. We wanted the biggest Christmas tree we could get. How big is it? He said, well, not very big this year. Your mom and I didn't have much money. We said, well, how big? About like four feet, five feet? He said, well, maybe. And we said, oh, that's okay, Dad. You did your best. It's okay. Don't feel bad. We'll get a bigger one next year. He goes, well, thanks, guys, for understanding takes us home, and we walked in the house, and that tree was 17 feet tall. It was touching the ceiling. Don't even know how we got that tree in the house. Me and my brothers were ecstatic. I mean, we were jumping up and down and screaming. The Christmas spirit, it's, my dad's got it, and we got it. But not only the things that went around Christmas, but Christmas Day itself. Like, Christmas Day itself was the happiest day of the entire year. Why? Because we got to open gifts. And my brothers and I, we could not sleep on Christmas Eve night. We could not sleep. I mean, we were sitting there looking at the clock. The first time my mom said, Christmas morning, as soon as it's Christmas morning, we're going to open these gifts. We were knocking on her door at 12.01 a.m. She said, what are you doing? It's Christmas morning. Look at the clock. Look at the calendar. It is now December 25th. We're opening gifts. She said, boy, if you boys don't get back in the bed, you ain't getting no gifts. Christmas morning doesn't start till at least 6 a.m. She had to stipulate, so we sat there by the clocks until 6 a.m. It's 6 a.m., and we would run in the living room, and mom and dad would come out, and we'd distribute the gifts. And you know, when you're a little kid, you get gifts from everybody. You know, we got gifts from mom and dad. And then we would eat there in the morning. And then we'd go to my uncle's house and we'd get gifts from my uncle. Then we'd go to my aunt's house and we'd get gifts from my aunts. And then we'd go to my grandmother's house and get gifts from my grandmothers. And then my great aunts and get gifts from my great aunts. Then we'd go to Auntie Carmen's and Uncle, you know, and this uncle, Uncle Saul. And, and we got gifts. And all day long, we'd go to different places and open more gifts and more gifts and more gifts and more gifts and more gifts. And you know what I realized? As I got older, I discovered you get less and less gifts What I discovered as I got older is that my Christmas, the Christmas spirit became weaker and weaker and weaker. I used to be like Luke Skywalker, you know, and, and I don't know. Now I'm like Jar Jar Binks. It's, it's like the, the Christmas season got shorter and the power of it weakened. And Christmas morning, all of a sudden, by the time I was 16 years old, Christmas morning wasn't so exciting anymore. Why? Because you only got like two gifts, one from mom and dad and maybe one from grandma. That's it. You're not, everybody doesn't buy you gifts anymore. And by the time you become an adult, you get one. You know, you get one gift and it's the white elephant or the secret Santa. You know what I'm talking about where, you know, you, uh, You, you put names in a hat. I remember the first year we did that, put names in a hat. Here, pick a name. What's this? That's the one person you're going to get a gift for. Said, so wait a minute. If I only got one name, that means only one person's got me. What manner of evil is this? I only get one gift? I mean, how anticlimactic is that? It's like you wake up Christmas morning, there you go, and it's done. It's a shirt. a sweater that doesn't fit. My experience of Christmas changed. And you know what? My perspective on Christmas began to change too because as I grew into adulthood, see, when you're a child, you're not aware of the fact that anybody is having a hard time during Christmas. I mean, when you're, when you're a child, you think everybody loves Christmas. I remember sitting up there in the balcony crying, thinking this is the most amazing thing in the world, and I thought everybody felt that way about Christmas. But as I became an adult, I started discovering people from broken families for whom Christmas was the worst time of year. I started discovering people who had experienced a divorce for whom Christmas was the worst time of year. And I started finding that around Christmas time, actually, attendance at church goes down because people are hurting so bad that they just can't be around people who look so happy who are celebrating, who've got everything put together. It's, it's like the Christmas holiday became for people who have everything together, whose families are in perfect situations, and who come to church looking smiley, Merry Christmas, Happy New Year. And you're thinking, I don't want to hear that. Your life is going well. Mine is in the toilet. All Christmas does is remind me of how bad things are in my life. I couldn't believe it. When I first started to discover that actually people have a tough time, that the suicide rate increases around Christmas. That depression rates increase around Christmas. That people, that the average American gains seven pounds during the Christmas holiday. And it's not just because you're celebrating. When I started to discover that for a lot of people, Christmas hurts, I was so disillusioned. It's like growing up and realizing that the tooth fairy does not exist. Wait a minute, she doesn't? Just kidding. It's a she? You never know if the tooth fairy was a, my mama never told me if the tooth fairy was a man or a woman. I should have asked her. Then as I began to study the Christmas story in Scripture, you know what I found? Actually, the Christmas story, when you think about it from one perspective, is not the happiest story in the world. I mean, you know, we talk about Christmas and its trees and its decorations and its gifts and its dressing up in suits and looking all nice and and eating cookies and drinking apple cider and eggnog and pumpkin pies, but that's not what what it was for the folks who are actually involved in making the story. I mean, when you actually think about the way the Christmas story went down, it's kind of messed up. I mean, can we think about this for a second? So Mary and Joseph, right? The virgin conceives and bears a child, right? We have theological terms for it. We call it the immaculate conception. All of a sudden, this woman, Mary, who had never been with a man before, is pregnant. Now, think about that. We celebrate it as a glorious thing, but think about what it was like for Mary. You know how the Christmas story started? With God taking a young woman who had never done nothing wrong and messing up her life. I mean, just like, this is a joke, right? And the angel of the Lord appeared to her and told her how it was going to go down. I mean, an angel appears. When an angel appears, you think something, he's going to say something good, right? Greetings, you who are highly favored of the Lord. And Mary's thinking, what kind of greeting is this? And the angel says, don't be afraid. You found favor in God's eyes. Now, whenever we start talking about favor in the house of God, it means you're going to get some money or a job. Op- That's how we preach favor, right? Oh, favor. What happens? Something good happened in your life right? You're going to get a new job. I remember I was, I was working in o, in, in, at the bank in Oakland, and I was a college student, and I, I helped a homeless person in front of a Chinese restaurant And then I got in line at that Chinese restaurant, and a woman in line spoke to me and said, God says because you did that, he's going to show you favor, and you're going to get a raise on your job because you showed compassion to that homeless person out there. I said, hallelujah. And I went back to the office, and my boss came and handed me a slip of paper. I said, what's this? My boss said, you've been doing such an amazing job. This is your raise. I said, look at God. Just look at God. Because that's favor. I mean, when God says you're highly favored, you expect money. You expect a new job or a new house, or if you're single, you expect a mate. (laughs) That is, when God says you're favored, you expect the actual circumstances of your life to get better. But the angel says to Mary, you're highly favored of the Lord, and she says, wonderful. And the angel says, and so because God favors you so much, this is what he's going to do. You're going to get pregnant, but not by your husband. And you're going to give birth to a child. And the way you're going to get pregnant is the Holy Spirit is going to implant the child in your womb. Not with the help of a man. But the Holy Spirit is not going to explain that to anyone. And so everybody's going to think that you're a hoe. Come on, you got to keep it real. See, we never read the story for real. Oh, you missed that when you read the story. You thought it was hunky-dory, right? Even your fiancé is going to want to throw you out and send you back to your mama. But be of good cheer. It'll all work out in the end. And so Mary says, I am the Lord's servant. Wait a minute. Hold on a second. She says, I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me according to your word. I wouldn't have said that. I would have said, hold on a second. What is your name? Are you a real angel? How long have you been an angel? This don't sound like God to me. This don't bear witness with my spirit. I need to call my pastor. All right, I'll do it under the following conditions. One, you've got to appear before my entire family and tell them that this is how it's about to go down. In other words, if you're going to do this, you've got to make sure nobody sees me in the wrong way. Can you imagine what it was like for Mary to have to go tell Joseph, her fiancé, that she was Pregos and the wedding hadn't even happened yet? Think about that for a second.
1: Oh, hey, Mary. I'm uh, oh, sorry. I a mess. know you're busy. No, 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 I'm not. Come on in, come on in. Um, what a surprise. I don't remember the last time you were in the wood shop.
2: I've never been here before.
1: Oh, well, that explains it. So, what are you doing here? Is, is, is something wrong?
2: No, no, nothing, nothing's wrong. Oh, Okay. <laughs>
1: yeah, me too. You know, it reminds me of when I was a little boy and I was running around in my own dad's shop. Someday we're, we're going to have our own little one, and he'll be running around here just like I did. Oh, which reminds me, I got you something. I was in the, yeah, I was in the market the other day.
2: It's beautiful. You like it? Yes, thank you.
1: So what's the matter? For a little bit going away
2: yeah to see my cousin elizabeth
1: oh elizabeth is that the one that's having the child i still don't know how that's possible how how old is she <laughs> zechariah must be thrilled
2: <laughs> Yes, they're both very happy
1: yeah so you're gonna be helping them
2: um well no uh, joseph I want to be as honest with you as I can. Okay. I'm going to have a baby.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Someday we will.
2: (laughs) No, no.
1: After we get married.
2: No, you don't understand.
1: Understand what?
2: I'm pregnant. Right now. I'm going to have a baby.
1: (laughs) No. How? Who? Mary, if somebody touched no, you...
2: No, Joseph. Listen. Please, just listen. I'm listening. Last week, an angel appeared to me. I was at the house, alone. I don't even remember what I was doing. And this man appeared. At least, he looked like a man. But Joseph, he was an angel, and he said to me, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. And he told me not to be afraid, and that the Holy Spirit is with me, and that I have found favor with the Lord. It was like like he knew me. And then he told me that I was going to have a child, a boy, and that his name will be Jesus, and he will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High, and he will be given the throne of his father David, and he will rule over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. What? And I asked, but how could this be, since I am a virgin? And he told me that the Holy Spirit will come upon me,
1: You've got to be kidding me.
2: And that the power of the Most High will overshadow me. And for that reason, the holy offspring shall be called the Son of God. Mary. And then he reminded me of Elizabeth. And he said that nothing is impossible with God.
1: Mary, stop. What is all this? What are you doing? I'd be lying to you if I understood what you just told me.
2: me. I'm telling you the truth.
1: This is crazy. Are you driving me away? Do you not want to marry me anymore?
2: No, no, Joseph. That's not what it is. Please, you have to understand. We have to trust God. It's only been a week, but I can already feel the child growing on the inside of me. I want God to do this thing through me. I told the angel to let it be done according to his word. I don't understand it either, but but I know that we can trust God.
1: Mary. This is ridiculous. I, I'm a carpenter. I work with wood. I work in this wood shop. I get splinters in my hands. I get sweaty all day just gathering wood. I'm not a priest. I'm not a a teacher of the law. But I make my pilgrimage to Jerusalem. And I pay my tithes. And I pray every single day. But God doesn't speak to me. No angels show up at my door. How am I supposed to understand all of this? Joseph, just
2: trust God. Don't try to understand it. Just believe him.
1: I believe God, but this? Angels coming to your door? Being pregnant? I don't even know if half of it's true. You know, I have a lot of work to do. Just go. Go visit Elizabeth. And go work out whatever's going on with you right now. And when you come back, we'll talk then. But now, I just don't have time for this. I have to go.
2: Joseph. I have to go. Joseph. Lord, I believe you. I
1: trust you.
0: I, I'd like to see the ghetto version of that one. That Joseph was nice. <laughs> Tell you what, if you're Mary, you better pray Joseph got the Holy Ghost. (laughs) Now, we know how the story progresses. After Joseph, the scripture says he was a righteous man. And so he decided that he was going to put her away quietly, meaning he was going to send her back to her mama, but not tell anybody what had happened. And, you know, she could go someplace quiet where nobody knew where she was and have the baby you know, and, and do whatever she wanted with her life, but he wasn't going to publicly expose her. He just decided, look, she made this mistake, and so I'll put her away quietly, and I'll be done with this thing. But the angel Gabriel came to, to, to Joseph and said, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife. Take her home with you because what is being born in her is of the Holy Spirit. And so all of a sudden God speaks to Joseph, but it's funny that in the story, Information is on a need-to-know basis. He appears to Joseph. Now Joseph and Mary look like they've been messing around. Joseph says, okay, I'm going to marry you. But now, see, how did Mary know she was pregnant? They didn't have pregnancy tests. When she came to Joseph to tell him that she was pregnant, she didn't have a, a, a plastic stick with a plus on it. She had a baby bump. The way she knew she was pregnant is she was already showing. So when, jo- when Joseph accepted her, he had to walk this woman around, and she's sticking out, and his whole family's looking at him and said, couldn't wait, huh? Uh, uh, uh. Naughty, naughty. Mm-mm-mm. The Lord can't be happy about that. He's probably under discipline at the church. He got put out of the ministry for a while, had to sit out, probably had to confess before the leadership team at the church. I mean, who knows what he went through to deal with that. So, you know, God does this thing, but he does it in secret. And then God starts telling people. And who's the first people he tells? Well, what we see in Matthew chapter 2 is the first people he told were what were called the magi, the magi. The word in the Greek is magi which in Korean means devil, magi. But uh, the, the magi, uh, that was a joke for Koreans. The magi were Eastern magicians. These were magicians that came from some Eastern country. Isn't it funny that God doesn't tell the people right there in Jerusalem He doesn't tell the the people that Jesus came for. He tells these magicians way off in this eastern country, they see a star in the sky, and it says, when they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy, and they journeyed from afar, and they came in search of him, and when they found him, they fell on their feet before him, and they worshiped. Now Mary just gave birth to the son. She gave birth to a child, and the first people to recognize who he is are some magicians. From a different country. Isn't it funny? When God puts something amazing in you, he doesn't tell the members of your church. God puts some amazing gifts in you, but the only people who don't know it are the people in your office at your job. God puts some amazing things in you, but the only people who don't see what you have are the members of your own family. The only people that recognize what God put in you are people whose opinions don't really mean anything to you. Way out there, people you don't even respect. And it gets worse because the next people that he tells are some shepherds, which we don't really understand in our culture because the shepherd in Israel was the lowest echelon of society. You couldn't get, I mean, it's like, work in the drive through at McDonald's only worse like you couldn't get as low i mean it was the lowest it was the lowest rung of the social ladder in israel matter of fact did you know that the testimony of a shepherd was not accepted in the court of law in ancient israel i mean if you took the stand they said what is your occupation i'm a shepherd get out your testimony you don't why cuz shepherds were known to be liars and and thieves and unscrupulous and you know you you became a shepherd when you had nothing else to do with your life and all of a sudden these shepherds are watching their flocks by night and an angel of the lord appears to them and it says The angel comes to them and says, I bring you great good tidings of great joy, which will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And then a whole host of angels appear and they begin to sing glory to God in the highest and on earth peace and goodwill toward men. And the shepherds, they run and they find Jesus lying in a manger. And they tell Mary and Joseph what they saw. And then it says the shepherds ran and told everybody. Isn't it funny that the testimony of a shepherd is not accepted, but yet God chooses shepherds to go and deliver the news of the birth of his son. God moves in mysterious ways, doesn't he? I wonder what it was like for those shepherds.
2: Jacob, Jacob, Jehu, Jacob, Jacob, Jehu. Hold up, hold up. Oh man, what are those guys? Who? Hey, Have you seen my two brothers come through here by chance? No. Two shepherds. Uh, kind of homely looking, smelly, like me.
1: Sorry. What can I say?
2: We're just shepherds. Yeah, I saw the angels. You should have seen the angels singing, praising God. I don't know how you didn't see him. It just happened right over
0: here. Give it up for David, ladies and gentlemen. So the angel told the shepherds, and the shepherds ran and told everybody. But here's the part of the story that we left out Jesus is the very Son of God, He's the Savior of the world, He's the King of kings and Lord of lords. I mean, He's so important that angels are appearing to people and announcing His birth. But where was He born? If, if I was God and I was bringing my son into the world, I'd make sure he was born in a palace surrounded by servants and that he laid it, I, that they made a gold, a solid gold crib for him. But Jesus, where is he born? He's born in a manger, but can you imagine what it was like for that innkeeper who had to tell Mary and Joseph, there's no room in the inn? But you can give birth to this child, in the stable.
3: Go on, shoot. Get out of here. Go. Oh, oh. If you need something to do, I got plenty of floors for you, sweet. That gets him every time. Oh, hi. How are you doing? Do you need a room? If so, you came at a great time. We have plenty of rooms. You can have as many rooms as you want. <laughs> Why? Well, we have had an exciting time here in the last week. You know, it all started when all those people had to come in, into Bethlehem to pay their taxes. You know about that. Yeah. They all needed places to stay. And so we were full to the rafters. I was so excited watching all that money pour in anyway my poor back was hurting and my hands were all dry and ashy from all that work but it was okay oh but like i was telling you it was exciting so it was so full in in our inn that i kept telling my husband don't open the door anymore quit letting people in we don't have any more room no more food but what does he do anyway So one night, once I finally finished washing dishes, I'm getting ready to go to bed, and there's a knock at the door. I say, no, don't open it. We don't have any space, but what does he do? He opens the door. In comes this couple, and there was this girl. She's pregnant, stuck out to here. I didn't want her staying here. Like, she was gonna have a baby at any time. So I went over to my husband, Pulled him aside, closed the door, and I said, you have to tell them to go. We have no room for them here. Then I went to bed. So I'm in bed, sleeping like a baby. All of a sudden, I hear, ah! So I jump out of the bed. Next thing I know, I'm standing out back in my night clothes. Again, I hear, ah! I look over in the stable. You know what I see? He put them in my stable. What? So I go over there, and the girl is in there in pain, screaming. So I look at her. and said, don't you know you're having a baby? She nods, and then again, ah! Oh, Lord. Her husband is down there. He don't know what to do. He's just praying. <laughs> so I send him away. I said, go get some bedding. I kneel down. I try to comfort the girl, and she's just screaming. But... What's so strange about this, you ask, right? Like, women have babies all the time. What was strange about this and what was remarkable was the story that she was telling me. Her name was Mary. And she was telling me about these visitations and dreams and visits from angels. Now, I don't know if she was just delirious because of all the pains of labor or if she was telling me the truth. But the look on her face made me believe her. Well, after a while, her husband comes back. And before you know it, the baby's out. I pulled that baby out of its mother. And I looked at that baby. It's the most beautiful baby boy I have ever seen. It was just so amazing just being in his presence. There was something about him that was so special. No, no, special is not the right word. He was holy. That baby was so holy. It changed me. I, I didn't even care about the work that I had to do. It didn't even matter to me that it was gonna take me a whole week to clean that bedding. I just wanted to be in the presence of that little baby By the way, his name was Jesus. You should remember that name. Because one day, everybody's going to know that name. Jesus.
0: You know what the most amazing part of the story is to me? It's Mary's attitude throughout. I mean, Mary, you never see her freaking out. You never see her crying. You never see her saying, God, what are you doing to me? You never see her saying, God, how come everybody else has it so much better than me? You never see her crying about how terrible her life is. In the midst of it, she looks past all of the difficulty that comes with the story. And instead, she simply sees that God is doing an amazing work. She forgets about the fact that uh, that everybody's going to think negatively of her. She forgets about the fact that she has to bear shame and humiliation. She forgets about the fact that God told her but hasn't told anybody else. And she just hears the word of the Lord. God said, you're highly favored. And so what she saw was the favor of God in the midst of her struggle. She saw that God was doing something powerful in and through her life, that God had given her an opportunity to be a vessel for his glory and to be a a channel of salvation for the world that she was bearing in her womb. The Christ child, the son of the living God, Jesus, Jesus, which means salvation. And the angel said, you'll name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. She was so excited because she saw what God was bringing through it and the excitement about what God was bringing through it overwhelmed and overcame any of the terror or horror of the circumstances of it, of the hardship of it, so much so that when she went to visit her cousin Elizabeth in the early stages of her pregnancy, she walked in the room rejoicing. And the scripture said that the moment she walked into the room and saw her cousin Elizabeth, who was six months ahead of her, pregnant with a man who would be named John the Baptist, who would prepare the way for Jesus, the moment Mary walked in the room, John in Elizabeth's womb was filled with the Holy Spirit and started doing a holy dance. I mean, can you imagine Elizabeth just chilling, and Mary walks in the room, and all of a sudden Elizabeth goes, Whoa! 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 what? Whoa! Whoa! My baby just started doing the Holy Ghost dance the moment you walked in the room. What is going on? The Scripture says that John the Baptist was filled with the Spirit even in Elizabeth's womb when Mary walked in the room. Isn't it a trip that John the Baptist is in Elizabeth's womb getting filled with the Spirit, but the Spirit baptizer is in Mary's womb? That even in infancy, even before these children are born, the power of what God did in Mary is already manifesting. The power of it. And here's the key, that God often does kingdom things in very non-kingdom circumstances. God does kingdom things in non-kingdom circumstances. And if you're looking at your circumstance and looking at what, what is going wrong in your life, you won't see the kingdom thing that God is doing. You won't see that in the midst of your hardship, God is bringing about salvation. You won't see that in the midst of your struggle, God is bringing about good for all people. And Mary, in the midst of... She's pregnant with the child. Nobody knows that it's God. But she says, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit will rejoice in God my Savior. For He has done great things. He's filled the hungry with good things, but the rich He sent away empty. You know what she's saying? She's saying, My eyes are focused on the work of the Lord in and through my life, not the hardship that I see in my life. Mary says, I mean, if anybody had a cause to be depressed at Christmas time, it was Mary. If anybody had a cause to feel abandoned by God at Christmas time, it was Mary. And I want you to know today that if you're here today and, and you're having a rough time during these Christmas holidays because of loss, that there's a woman named Mary who could identify with you. She knows what it means. Can you imagine that on Christmas time, she had family members who wouldn't speak to her because they still thought she got pregnant out of wedlock? That at Christmas time she was isolated and alone and in a stable giving birth to a child. Nobody understood her or knew what was happening, but her eyes weren't focused on her situation. Her eyes were focused on the greatness and the power that God was releasing through it. And I want you to know today that regardless of what you're going through, regardless of what's happening to you, that God is doing an amazing thing in your life, that he's working, to, working through the things in your life to bring good. In all things... God works for the good of those who love him, who are the called according to his purpose. And this Christmas season, my admonition to you is to look past your circumstance, to look past your situation, and to let your heart just begin to rejoice in the Lord. Let your heart begin to say, my soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit will rejoice in God my Savior. Let let your heart begin to worship the Lord. Let your heart begin to say, oh, come, let us adore him, Christ the Lord. We say that Jesus is the reason for the season. But he seems to be the only one that's left out. The Christmas season comes, and we go out of our way to bless the people around us. We exceed our budget to buy gifts for our loved ones and friends. We say Jesus is the reason for the season, but we very rarely even stop to give him our attention. Much less like the Magi to bring gifts of gold and incense, and myrrh, and laid them at his feet. May we not forget that the first Christmas was about bringing gifts to Jesus, not about giving gifts to each other. And the first Christmas was about recognizing in Jesus the greatest gift that has ever been given to the world. And that gift is the gift that God offers us today and every day, the gift of Jesus For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but that the world through him might be saved. The gift of Jesus teaches us that the wages of sin is death but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. This Christmas if we push away every gift there's really only one gift that matters. That if this was the only gift under the tree as an adult, we've learned what it's like to get one gift at Christmas. Let me tell you something. On the first Christmas, God gave one gift to the entire world. One gift, but it's the gift that keeps on giving one gift. It's the gift that keeps on growing. He says, Here, I'm sending my son. I'm sending my son to die for you. I'm sending my son to, ex- to express my love for you. I'm sending my son to show you how much I love you and how much I desire to draw you to myself. That is the gift. And if you leave every other gift unopened this year, don't leave that gift unopened. That gift of Jesus Christ, that gift of God's one and only Son, don't leave that gift unopened. That's the gift that we should wake up with joy and enthusiasm to receive each and every day. I'll never forget when I was about six or seven years old. It was the best Christmas of my entire life. We woke up with joy and excitement and enthusiasm, so excited. We ran into the living room, and my parents were standing there by the tree waiting for us. We anticipated that they were going to give us something great, and they did not let us down. They had blankets on the floor in front of the tree. And when we pulled those blankets back, there were brand new bicycles. Me and my brothers never dreamed that we would get brand new bicycles for Christmas. You know, I was hoping for some Batman underoos or something. You remember underoos? But I got a bicycle. I mean, it was greater. I came expecting something great, and it was greater than I ever could have anticipated. Let me tell you something, if you would receive the gift of God's Son, Jesus Christ, you'll find that that gift is greater than you could have ever anticipated it would be. This morning as we gather together, God has a gift for you. He hasn't forgotten you. He's got a gift for you. The only question is, would you receive it? Would you receive it? I want us to bow our heads just for a moment here in the presence of the Lord. I offer you, Jesus. Whatever you long for, whatever you're searching for, I'm telling you today, And nothing can satisfy the desire of your heart. Blaise Pascal said that there's a God-shaped void in every human heart. Only God can fill it. Augustine said the heart is restless till it finds its rest in thee. The psalmist said as the deer pants for the water brook, so my soul thirsts for you, O Lord. I'm telling you today that whether you know it or not, whether you're aware of it or not, whether you feel it or not, your soul is thirsting for God. That there's nothing that you desire more than the gift of God's Son, Jesus. I offer you Jesus. The King of kings and Lord of lords, I offer you Jesus. Maybe you came today and said, I just hope I get an inspirational word. I, I hope I get something that to lists me up in this season and makes me feel better. Or maybe you came today thinking, I just hope somebody would understand me. And I tell you what, you know, I could understand you and I could give you an inspirational word, but that would wear out before you even got home. I could get you feeling real good about yourself and then send you home and wouldn't even last the rest of the day. But if you would open your heart to Jesus and receive him into your heart and into your life, he'll abide with you forever. He'll never leave. He'll never leave. He'll come in and he'll dwell with you. I offer you Jesus. And if you're here this morning, you say, I'm ready. I'm ready to receive this precious gift. I'm ready to receive it, this gift of salvation, this free gift. I'm ready to receive it. I'm ready to invite Jesus to come into my life and make him my Lord and my Savior. You know what? You can make this the most wonderful Christmas that you've ever had. I mean, when Jesus was born, the angels rejoiced. But Jesus said, when one person comes to faith in him, every angel in heaven rejoices. The day he was born, the angels rejoiced over him. But you know what? If you would invite him into your life today, you will be born, born into the kingdom of heaven, and the angels will rejoice at your birth today. Some of you are here today, and you've run from him for a long time, but he continues to reach for you because he loves you. He loves you with an everlasting love. Isn't it time to open your heart to him? Isn't it time to let him in, to truly let him in? Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed, nobody's looking around. I'm going to ask you today, say, would you open your heart? Would you receive Jesus? Would you receive this precious gift, this gift of gifts that God has for you today? If you're ready to do it, would you just lift your hand? Nobody's looking around. Just lift your hand. I want to see your hand. I'm going to pray for you this morning. I see that hand right there. Yes, I'm so thankful that you opened your heart, sister, because I was praying for you, specifically in my heart. I knew that God was ready to meet you powerfully today. He loves you so much. Anybody else, you say, yeah, I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm ready. The Spirit of God is reaching for you today. Won't you receive this gift? There's some of you here that have come to church week after week, month after month, year after year, but never opened this gift. It's like your parents have have wrapped you a gift and put it under a tree, but for years you left that gift sitting under there and you wouldn't open it up. Won't you open up that gift this year? Won't you make a decision that today is the day that I'm not going to come to God's house and sit at the table but refuse to eat what he set before me? The Spirit of God is reaching for your heart today. I'm just going to give you another moment to respond. You're ready to respond. I want you to lift your hand right where you are. Yes. Father, I thank you for this one. And I thank you for the gift of your son. The gift that never loses its value, never loses its worth. God, there's nothing in all the world that anyone could give me that never loses its worth. Even gold perishes, though it is refined by fire. Every other gift that could be given to me loses its value, loses its worth, and eventually comes to nothing. But this gift is an eternal gift. It is the gift of your Son. And Jesus, we receive you into our hearts today. And we rejoice in you as one rejoices in great riches. We give you the praise. We give you the glory. Lord, for those who are going through a difficult time right now, there are those even in this room for whom Christmas is not a happy thing, hasn't been for a long time. Christmas is a reminder of terrible things that have happened. Christmas is a reminder of isolation, rejection. But, Father, for those who are feeling pain right now, I pray that you would apply the balm of Gilead to every heart. I say that there is a balm in Gilead. I say that you are close to the brokenhearted and that you save such as trust in you. And the Scripture says that you heal the brokenhearted and bind up their wounds. And, Father, I pray that you would pour out your Spirit upon every heart and bring wholeness and bring healing. And bring peace. I speak blessing. I speak encouragement and great joy in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.